Hello, everyone. Back to Beers and Careers here. Uh, as always, the podcast is sponsored by the Davis Companies. Real relationships, powerful partnerships, exceptional opportunities. Uh, today's guest is Brendan Davis, president of the Davis Companies. Um, Brendan is, again, he's a colleague, but uh, a buddy. Uh, spent a bunch of time together. He's got kids about the same age as my kids. Um, we're in a pretty similar place in our careers and our personal lives. So uh, definitely someone I, I like to hang out with, and uh, but also uh, bounce ideas off. So um, we talked a lot of different things. Uh, some, uh, you know, I found from his favorite book being The Giving Tree to how he's working on his listening skills to become a better leader. Um, and then he also hits a very uh, uh, important topic that affects a lot of people, but I think he can speak to you very well, which is working with family members. So, uh, without further ado, here's uh, my time with Brendan Davis. Hope you enjoy it. Brendan, thank you for being the inaugural guest of Career- Beers and Careers. Can you get the name right? Cheers. Not off to a hot start. Um, Brendan's beer of choice, drink of choice, really, was Guinness. Today it was. Today it was. Um, Coming ca- off a long weekend of fireball and uh, kind of kind of forced your hand that that was the only thing in the fridge <laughs> kind of forced your hand so that, that one's on me a little See that bit that one's yeah. um so I, brennan i really you know excited to have you here i think uh i've learned a ton from you over the years as it pertains to leadership i think we this podcast um was invented out of the thought of talking about people's career pathing, which is a real hot topic for you these days in our organization. So the timing, I think, could not be more perfect uh, to talk about some of the challenges about wrangling career pathing in a $50 million size organization with almost 100 people and uh, and as we kind of move to our next venture I- internally. But let's uh, let's start with some easier questions just to, just to get this warmed up here. So... Um, I know we're drinking Guinness today, but honestly, what's what's your favorite drink? Uh, favorite beer of choice? Recently, it's been uh, been like the coffee porters. I'm a big coffee guy, if you haven't noticed. Yes. Cold brew is uh, coarsely running through my veins, so anything that I can add a little caffeine to really, because, uh, you know. Yeah, we're gonna I, need, have to, I need more caffeine. We might need to have life. a doctor on the podcast to see if you can drink that much coffee. <laughs> Yeah, 120 ounces of cold brew a day might be much. Wild. Um, so first job. What was your first job? First job uh, was, um, well, we started stacking boxes for Davis at an early age of probably eight or yes. nine. Um, but I would say my first real job was during the summers. Um I was uh, scooping ice cream at an ice cream spot up in Newbury, New Hampshire. Okay. Um, and then the second, really the full, like, ice cream, I wouldn't really consider a, really a, uh, really a... Hey, there's a lot to learn on a busy there, there summer was. night. Great forums. Forums are really strong. <laughs> I, bet. I can really imagine. Really strong. I can imagine. Uh, but I was actually the first, I think it was after the summer of ice cream, the next summer I worked for a cut shop. So they were building um, large prefab trusses for big buildings. Oh, yep. So I was the grunt that uh, they would fire through a couple thousand pieces of lumber and they would cut it and I would have to catch it, stack it, uh, wrap it, and then uh, like basically do a steel cord around it and cut it in like five minutes. And I was an assembly line worker. 
just catching lumber and having big blades and saws How old? spinning around. I was probably 13. I think so. Phenomenal. That was a great job. Phenomenal. All these guys were lifers and like just a lot of wisdom coming out of the crew. So they probably smoked five packs of Marlboro Reds a day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there was some drinking on the job. Oh, not I, by me, but yeah, by them. Yeah. Oh, I hope at yeah. 13, probably yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I love that interview question. When, I, when we interview people here, I always ask, what was your first job? Because it is generally cemented in people's brains, like what they did. And they're usually like that. They're usually some level of like physicality involved, sweating. To go, everyone's going home and taking naps after work. It was vivid. It yeah. was vivid. Yeah, like, it, was, it, in. it was hard work, and it was vivid. It was um, great. A couple more to warm you up these days. Um, I was going to ask you your favorite book, but you can't answer with Star with a Lie. <laughs> uh, unless yeah. that's truly really your favorite. Yeah. We'll, I'll give you um, Honestly, I think my favorite, how about that? I'll switch it up on you. What was your favorite kid's book growing Ooh. up that, that had a long-lasting impression? Mine was The Giving Tree. Yes. Shel Silverstein? No, uh, no. I'm sure the author. Is it Shel Silverstein? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, the Giving Tree. Yeah. Okay. The giving Tree was probably... Why was that so impactful? Um, I think at the time, um, I didn't really get the like the theme of the book and like the life lessons that it was learning. But right. I, but I, as I grew up and still remember the book, I would go back to it and would it would open up a whole new perspective based on the theme of the book mm. and and uh and you know at first it was just about this boy in a tree and how much the tree was just totally just completely giving to every phase and aspect of his life mm -hmm. and uh i don't know i just would say uh looking back at it now yeah. it's, it probably means a whole lot more now than it did then but yeah that's insightful and as a guy who's known you for 10 years i did not know that yeah do you, what, what about right now? Are you reading anything right now? Uh, right now we're reading uh, Principle of Oz. Uh, Principle yeah. of Oz. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty impactful just because it's got a heavy, uh, making your life so you're not living in a victim mentality or mm. below the line. And I think that there's um, probably a pretty big shift in our organization yeah. with the book and, and some of the other things that we're doing right now. Even in, I'm finding myself in my own personal life, um, I'm just I'm taking mm. I'm taking the credit. Yeah, I, do you find so? In full disclosure, I'm also reading that book right now because we're doing it as an organization, The Oz Principle, Wisdom of Oz. Um, do you find you struggle? Uh, it's almost like it's easier to apply in these four walls where everyone is speaking that lexicon. And I think at times when you leave these four walls. And go back into the day which we have here, and, and victim mentality can be uh, fairly common among our uh, social fabric as a as a culture in America. Do you do you have trouble kind of like not getting frustrated with it? I found myself probably more frustrated with the outside world. Yeah, going that way because you want to sit down and go, eh, victim, 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 yeah. victim, victim, and, right? And it's uh, you know not everyone's read the book. How are you dealing with that, though? How do you, how do you how are you dealing with that and not um, exploding? And I ask from a place of like I think the same way. It's like I can't when I'm reading the book. I'm thinking about things that are happening in the office, and then I'm, but more vividly, I'm thinking about all the examples outside of the office that I, that some I don't have a whole lot of influence over. 
I feel like the tolerance is uh, shorter. Yes. Because if I'm, if you're truly trying to, if you have a, a, a fairly small, finite time doing what we're doing right now, right. Um, I I find myself in the outside less tolerant. Right. Um, and just you know probably saying something where I would I would typically not say something. Just let it go. Previously. Right. Yeah. So taking more action. For yeah yeah I would say taking more action and and uh, and living with the result good or bad. Right. Right. So. Wow. All right. Wild. If it's like a bank, that, you know, it's uh, if there's nothing that they're asking you to do that isn't good for you. So right. I feel like if you hold that mentality, right, even in the outside world, if you're if you're giving them, if you're mm-hmm. shooting straight, there's nothing that you're that you're saying that isn't good for the person. Yes. Yes. I feel like mentality the, for themselves. And for people who haven't read the book, I think the premise of the book is basically that you are responsible for all the problems that you see in front of you. Like you, you have the power to change them. So I think it's uh, it's interesting how much that book relates to the giving tree. Yeah. Um, man, I got deep on this rapid fire question. I had like softballs left up, uh, but can I end with this one because I love this favorite curse word? Oof. I, I think I dropped f bombs a lot. A fuck is one of the best words ever. Yeah. It really, it's an adjective, yeah. it's a noun, it's a person, a place, and a thing at times. It's get, phenomenal. You can get people all jacked up with it. Yes. You can get people really angry with it. It's um, it's, it's very universal. It's unbelievable. It's yeah. re- it's really a challenge when you have a four and a two year old. By the way. Yeah. No. That's uh, they know the word. Yeah. My house. I do, and they, my family also knows that only dad and mom can say it. Those are the, those are the rules. Yeah, when you're 18, you can say it too. <laughs> um, we'll see how long that lasts. Um. So I think for you, this is a kind of an a really interesting question, but I, I've always been wanting to ask folks, how old are you now? 36. So 36. When you were 36, excuse me, you're 36 now. When you were 16 years old, did you have any idea this is what you'd be doing? Honestly? No, no. I thought for sure I'd be in sales doing some sort of selling of something. Wow. I thought you were going to go pro basketball on me. No, 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 no. So by 16, you would already been humbled that much athletically. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. Though. Me too, actually. 16, you knew that there were men Yeah, that were men. We Playing basketball at Lawrence Academy and being a minority on that team yeah. set my set. set my sights that I would not be joining you the never, NBA. Yeah, and uh, shortest guy by what, like a foot? Yeah, yeah. 6'2", shortest guy. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. Insane. Well, when people are uh, going to the pros, yeah. it's a, that's, a, that's a big one. Doing 360 dunks in uh, warm-up practice. Yeah. I can't imagine being the other team. Do you have any lessons from Lawrence, your college days, that you look back to and lean on either when the shit's hitting the fan or when you just look for strength from a, from a moral standpoint or from a leadership standpoint from those days? Because those are such formative years for people, I feel like. I, I honestly think that there's probably more that I've, uh, that I've learned... Uh, not to do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. more than uh, more than anything from those years. Um, you know, I think that uh, a lot of um, over the past, I would say, five years, that has allowed me to be more successful um, than I was during that time. Um, had to do with like self awareness mm. now, um, and uh, you always are born with a certain set of skills that can get you through life. 
Yes. But uh, being able to be really self-aware and using those the right way and making sure that you're not um, that you're not um, you're not skimping in the areas that you should really kind of dig deep and, and focus in to get you to where you need to be. And I think college is probably a pretty good example, at least for me, candidly, is you know uh, looking back. You know, I wish I had spent a lot more time, energy, and effort. You know, in some of the um, the core fundamental business skills and some of the because a lot of the stuff that I've um, I think had a longer uh, learning curve with is mm. all been stuff that I've learned on the job because um, I honestly probably didn't spend enough time focused and and learning when I had the opportunity to. So mm. um, you know, I feel like uh, I feel like that's that would have. That would have helped me get there sooner, but I don't think even at the time, um, I don't think I was self-aware enough to be able to see that as a priority mm. uh, over uh, drinking and, right. and playing lacrosse. Club and, med. And, Club uh, med. And age. social. Right. <laughs> well, I think that's a challenge for so many people. Sure. I don't think that's kind of what I kind of meant about the culture dictates that. Do you, what changed for you? Like what, what was the, uh, I'm going to become more self-aware. Because it's a path, don't you think? It's, and it's sure. not easy. Yeah. I think it had to do with, we, um, we started with um, uh, early in like leadership or management. Uh, we started going to roundtables where we were surrounded by other people. Mm. And I think that uh, there was a uh, group, um, uh, what was the name? Robbie Lynn was yeah. the names, but the group Clear, Clear Vision. Vision yeah. Clear Vision was the name of the company. And they facilitated roundtables of COOs and kind of senior executives in companies around the area. And um, at first, I think we went in, I went in there and, you know, people would talk about things they had going on, their problems or things in business that, you know, and immediately um, my mind would go to a solution mm. versus like listening and learning and, you know, just kind of being present in their situation to learn what they did. Right. Um, and I think that was the start of what uh, allowed my brain to actually slow down and listen a lot more um, to the situation and learn from some of that stuff versus coming to like a solution or trying to problem solve right away. Mm. Whereas I think right now, um, I think that there's time to problem solve, but um, I'm noticing in our organization, especially with the amount of growth and changes and everything like that, it's the people that truly sit and listen and, you know, put them, put themselves in someone else's shoes and are really kind of self-aware of, how they're operating and how the group's operating and the different dynamics of that, those people tend to um, make probably the most accurate and best decisions for the organization. Hmm. There's a lot there. Sorry. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That was a lot. Because I think, uh, so what you're, uh, but what you were saying was more, you're, you're, can I, uh, do I have the liberty to assume that when you say listen, you're also talking about asking more clarifying questions? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And trying to like, understand the root of a problem as opposed to the symptoms of one. Sure. Yeah. Mm. That's accurate. Who, so was that a clear vision alliance thing? Was that Yeah. So those were stepping, yeah, stepping stones from there. Um, <clears throat> I joined an organization called YPO and it's a group of CEOs that meet monthly and they truly talk about, you know, where they're at, you know, how their business is going, family, you know, good, bad, everything. So a lot of there you're talking about, you know, kind of the deepest and darkest, um, you know, kind of worst situations all the way up to the highest and you know, mm. best pinnacles of your career. So uh, I think that there's um, being able to go through an organization where, you know, from a business roundtable standpoint, 
um, and then jump into YPO that's not only business but also personal. Right. It brought me, um, it added not only to the better self-awareness on the business front, but also personally for myself. So I feel like um, I've been able to understand what my strengths and weaknesses are um, and also be open to it. So you're checking your ego at the door. I think that's another big thing. It's hard to be self-aware when, when you have an ego at play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that there's different people have different variances on how yeah. strong their ego is. And I certainly over, uh, I still have an ego and, yeah. and but well, being you able need, to, you need one too. Yeah. Being able yeah. to temper that and understand what, you know, where other people see you at. Um, we recently did, um, a, uh, 360 evals for our executive team and myself with, with folks that I work with, um, on a daily and, like a lot of that feedback was really positive, but if um, you know, if you got an ego at the door, you probably aren't. You're not truly listening to what that feedback is and how to work on that for the better. So yeah, uh, I think that that going back to your step to to how that has helped me throughout my career. I think it started with the roundtables to get me talking about primed and thinking right, and then into um, more you know self. Um, Self work through and reflection, kind of reflection and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So what the 360s are great. Um, I'm a fan of those as well. Those tend to, in my experience, come once a year, maybe once a quarter. What strategies do you employ to to have that in real time, like so that you don't lose that? Because I, I mean, I feel like myself, I fall into the victim of like I lose that touch at times. When it's like you got to get grounded. You just mean in terms of um, how you're staying, like you're working in the right areas to get Strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah, like, sure. like that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so I've actually, I, I think for 2018, I started this. Uh, I started with a new executive coach last year mm-hmm. um, who's worked with the organization. Um, and self-discipline and, you know, kind of prepping yourself in the mm-hmm. areas. Um, if you look at your day, there's things that give you energy and there's things right. that take away energy from you. So being able to kind of set up your day to understand what those are and you really focus in on the areas that give you energy and make sure that you're, um, you know, not that you're not taking care of the things that don't, but you're setting up mechanisms or programs to be able to take care of those aspects of your life mm-hmm. so that you, you can spend less time in that area, right. giving yourself more energy to do, you know, kind of future looking or goal oriented things. Okay. So a lot of um, what I talked to um, Nick uh, my executive coach about and in YPO there's a lot of folks that operate this way just just from meeting people and asking them what how they handled it um, but you know daily reminders of mm. checklists and and things that um, that you can think about and do to make sure that you're staying on task to 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 kind of the best version of you I guess. yeah so you're working on the, the things that you that you really suck at and, yeah okay and you're and you're pouring gasoline on the things that really fire you up so do you, what were like, can you give us an example? It sounds like checklists and to-do lists were a big change for you, but anything else that's kind of been a big change in how you physically execute that? Yeah. So, uh, and I, I, w- I would say that I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still, I am nowhere where I need to be. Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. Close. That's fair. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, spending time each week calendar has always been really struggle for me where, mm. you know, um, I couldn't sit behind a computer and do the same thing for 40 hours a week and right. then, and then right. the demoing week, I would drive, go crazy. Um, so I think you know, being able to have variety in what you do and focus on, 
um, but making sure that you're spending uh, different execution time versus creative time versus relationship building time. Mm -hmm. So being able to look at your week and go, okay, you know, Tuesday and Thursday are my creative days. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking about, you know, future state of stuff or if there's kind of creative juices that you got to put towards, um, you know, new career pathing or, you know, you're talking about your core values and beliefs and, and what's going to be the next, um, you know, kind of next theme that you're going to go into. That's a different muscle in your brain that you need to kind of stay focused on. Mm -hmm. um, it would be, it would be like in a sales desk, you know, calling financial services companies and then five minutes later, you know, checking voicemails and then five minutes later, jump into another thing and, you know, or healthcare. if you're all over the place, you know, how much are you really going to be able to dial in on your, on your one hour of calling to a specific sector for a specific reason to specific customers. Right. You know, you're just, you're, you're sharper where you're at. Do you find, uh, you said self-discipline being one of those ways that you're helping to get there, right? Yeah. Um, anything you noticed that's been working for you to stay more disciplined? I think uh, having it in the schedule, having it in the schedule, yeah. and having it written. So you're becoming a schedule guy. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So you know, having consistency. What do you use to, it? to keep a schedule? Uh, Outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Straight <laughs> up know? in your computer. Uh, yeah, yeah. All day. Like if it's not an Outlook, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. That's um, too funny. I tell my wife that too. She's not a fan. I'm not sure how that would go over. Yeah. She's like, we have this birthday party Saturday. I'm like, it's not on my calendar. How am I supposed to know that? Um, but yeah, it's the but truth. It just, you get become a slave to it. Yeah. And I do think there's um, there's one of the things that I would love to be able to start doing um, at some point. At some point, uh, I don't know about in the first half of the year, but yeah. um, I found that uh, through some of the folks that um, that are incredible CEOs. They uh, do a lot of meditation at least mm. once a day just to set themselves up to be, to dial in and focus and hit what yes. they're trying to accomplish that day. Um, and they have a really good organized kind of project management tool in their, mm. in their tool belt. Well, I think what's interesting is you talked about, um, you've noticed a theme behind successful business leaders all having patience, active listening, and they're not just they're not just firing away. And then you brought up meditation. Yeah. So I think those there's got to be some level of relationship I, on my own personal journey. Uh, meditation is um, high on my to do list as well, or what whatever that me that means. Just taking time to breathe or center yourself is a. Uh, I always wonder if those people have children under five, but um, no, because God, I, there's not a lot of. What time are you waking up for that? And going to the gym and trying to get it all done. It's yeah. like, uh, that's, a, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. I just started journaling in the last two weeks. It's been crazy different. How, how many times a day are you journaling? I, I, it's a notebook that basically, I bought it on Amazon, some notebook that, uh, actually it's called a Next Level Planner. So shout out on Amazon to Next Level Planners. Uh, and I, I got Tyler one too. And it literally, you plan your whole schedule out, but in the morning it asks you, did you move, did you breathe, did you meditate, did you work out? And then it tells you to write down things you're grateful for, and then an affirmation, and then you plan your day, and it's got priority to-do list, and it's got an end of the day kind of reflection thing. And so I gotta admit, on Saturday and Sunday, that notebook was nowhere to be found. But, uh, but during the week, it's been really good too. And I found that even the, 
I probably spend no more than eight minutes in the morning filling it out and probably five to 10 minutes at the end of the day doing it. So I'm not getting it a tremendous amount of time, but I found like the nighttime helps me sleep because I know what I have to do the next day because I've already planned my day. And in the morning I find, I don't, I don't, I don't tend to be the most patient person, so I'm working on that. But I found that at least I, at least I'm a little calmer entering to the day because I've reminded myself like, look, slow down. You're on a gigantic rock hurling through the solar system. You're going to be fine kind of thing. Like the gratefulness thing is a, uh, is a real kick in the teeth. So that's so funny. So we, um, we just had this discussion um, in a round table. And I would say that probably 75% of the people sitting on the table every yeah. morning wrote down acts of gratitude, mm. right? Or people that they were grateful yeah. for, whatever that is, and just reminded themselves of that. So Isn't that wild? Yeah. Have you done it? Have you tried it? No, I haven't. It's weird. It's weird because you are, you've probably thought about it. Sure. But then to pen it to paper, you're like, what am I doing? Right? And like this morning, I'm like, I'm grateful for my family. And then there was, a, I had a really couple tough days last week at work that were hard conversations with people in our organization. And, and I wrote down, I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to help people on their journey. Mm-hmm. It's just like your mind frame just totally changes in, a, in an instant. So yeah, it's a, yeah, we'll see. Catch, catch up with me in six months. I'll tell you if I'm still doing it's it. Right? Let's see, see yeah. if that's happening. Um, you mentioned career pathing, which I think, at one time when Andrea, our um, VP of marketing and the person that kind of poured gasoline on Mark's fire to start a podcast, because podcasting had become a huge part of my life uh, for some of the stuff that we're talking about, self-awareness, journaling, gratitude, all that kind of stuff. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, what Andrea and I, we were spitballing. I think we talked about how people's career pathing, certainly sitting in a staffing seat, we talk to people all the time that you couldn't believe the job they're doing today is what they were. If you'd asked them 10 years ago, they'd have been like, I had no idea I was going to do that. Like, it wasn't a linear career path. I, you know, it looked like a, uh, an absolute mess at times, but I failed forward kind of thing. So how do you, you're tasked in our organization with career pathing, talent acquisition, that HR bucket, which is huge. And there's a lot of pressure when you've got the growth goals that we've got. How do you capture that? How do you allow for that? Excuse me. Chaos, I'd say. There's a level of chaos and a level of unpredictability uh, that comes with people, right? Like the people are not robots. So how do you kind of capture that to still inspire people that the next steps are all, always available, but at the same time that like they don't need to be pigeonholed into only one way of skinning the cat, for yeah. lack of a better term? Um, so two things. I think you need to give people choice and you need to give people a stage. So okay. you got to give people the choice to be able to um, see what is potential for their opportunity. Right. And you got to give them a stage to perform to get there. Um, okay. So that, choice is almost vision. Yeah. So like okay. being able to, to look out and choice now in one company, choice could also be leaving the company. Yes. Right. Right. So right, right, right. It doesn't have to be here, but your right. choices are. Um, and I think that the more, um, I think the, the Richard... Branson quote just has been sticking with me for you know probably the past. Uh, this know, is good because I skipped months. I skipped favorite quote on the yeah, rapid fire, is, so this is perfect yeah, timing. Is um, <laughs> you know train people so that they can leave. You know yes. treat them so well that they stay. Yes, uh, and that's probably not the exact quote, yeah. but the mentality behind it. Mm. Um, I think that if you're able to give people choices um, of what's in total alignment with the company and its growth. 
Um, and it gives people the ability to learn new roles and responsibilities within a job set. Um, and then there's you know, other things on the, um, on the cultural part of the company that mm. people get involved with, right? That are other things, whether it be you know, philanthropic give back to the community, whether it be you know, performance management and kind of help training and development, or you know, there's different areas of the company that people can get involved with that's outside of their job scope, mm-hmm. but specific to their job scope, give people the path that's, uh, that they can see for themselves that lines up with where they want to go, what they want to do, and make sure that you have great training programs to get them there, mm-hmm. um, and be really clear about what the expectations are so that they have to apply the hard work, not that they're um, you know, sitting there going, well, you know, why aren't, I, I've been here for 10 years, so right. I deserve a promotion right. into this role. Right. Whereas I think how do you handle that? Because uh, that is a, that is um, kind of coincides nicely with the point you made 10, 15 minutes ago of the victim mentality. Right. Like you're yeah. like those people do not believe that they're in control of the world around them. That's a result of the organization. Yeah. Not not setting expectation and and um having a crucial conversation with them about yeah. their strengths and weaknesses. Communicating effectively. The, the transparent, like if, if you're not transparent with the person that they have a weakness, right, and you just keep on, you know, not talking about that and they continue on a path right. to management and they're not good managers, right. but they've been here and you just haven't had the conversation, right? you know, victim mentality would, would, would be going, well, that just person's It's the leader's fault, shot. really. Ah, I'm going to take full fault. credit. I didn't right. have a conversation. Right. And if you did have that conversation, hopefully you'd be guiding them in a way that would be able to put them into their greatest strengths. And if they, they don't have what it takes to be in that role, mm-hmm. or they themselves feel like the path to where they want to go isn't with the company, then set them free. Mm-hmm. Right? Because at the end of the day, they're holding up a seat of someone that could be right. on that career path and doing it well. And if you don't have it internally, then why would you, why would you keep them? Mm-hmm. You know, it's only gonna it's only gonna hurt you longer. Right. 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 So it's fickle though, yeah. because you're basically saying that not everyone's equal. Yes. Well, everyone is uh, everyone is different. Yes. And have a different set of strengths and weaknesses. Yes. You gotta you gotta put the puzzle pieces together to see how you can mm-hmm. get as many good people into the areas that you need. Right. You need you need killer soldiers and frontline people. You need. You know, killer generals that are the Bill Belichick's of the yes. world. You know, organizing the back troops and and um, that's and, a hard. That's yeah. a hard. That's a hard. Um, do you find so we're millennials? Are you a millennial? Yeah, barely. Yes, uh, I am. Just talking totally, shit. Yeah. Uh, do you find that I find in our demographic though? That's a hard pill to swallow because we are the product of everyone gets a. Like we, we're that first generation, for sure. And everyone loves to talk about millennials and yada, yada, yada. I mean, we can get into that another day. I think it, a lot of it's a bunch of BS because that's how all 20-year-olds act But for, for years. But the, the um, I always think to my life, I, I think if there weren't those moments where your dad sat you down or like I had the opportunity where my dad was like, you're not as good as those people. Like you, if you want to be better, you're going to have to work harder. You have to see objectively that you're not good. And then figure out what you're going to do about it. But I don't, but I do, I find all too often that the first time they're having that conversation is in the workplace. Do you find that? 
Um, I, I think it's a result of people not having, it's like everyone gets a trophy. What's the root of that? Is they right. couldn't have a f- tough conversation with, with right. the kid at the time to right. say, hey, you know what, not everyone gets a trophy and, mm-hmm. and, and there's, a, there's winners and there's losers and you get a chance to do it again next year or whatever right. it is. So um, I do think that, I, I, and this is probably just specific to us, um, I, I think the millennial population, if, if you're having tough conversations, and not tough, but like just real, very, very real conversations yeah. with it, and you're setting expectations right, um, and you're you're connecting to the core values and beliefs of the individual. Because mm-hmm. I'm probably on the same uh, same thought as you, and that yeah. you know, uh, you know, a person that's 55 and a person that's 25, they both have motivations and yeah. they both have goals, and yeah. there there is a way that you can connect to that person so the to you mm-hmm. and you can probably help along with whatever is their goals in their life at that given point right so really it's on the it's on the person to connect to the individual and mm. show them the path and the opportunity career pathing right so yes if, if you set the right expectation mm. it really doesn't matter necessarily what their what their age skin color yes know, whatever yes. <laughs> whatever their background is coming into it yeah, yeah it's good and it, and it might not look like it's perfect yeah. It might, you might have to fail a whole lot to get to where you want to go. But I also feel like when you share those examples with people, it resonates. Totally. Because yeah. it's way more real than the person who went through it unfettered or unchallenged. Or it appeared unchallenging. Yeah. I think money-wise, like if you look at um, compensation, right? So there's obviously there's, you know, in the tech space, yes. negative unemployment, right? Or zero unemployment right. when it comes right. down to it. Um and I think that, you know, in that space, it's very easy for folks to go, okay, I'll just take a 10K bump somewhere mm-hmm. else. And hopefully that organization has a better, you know, career path career path or whatever right. on the other side of that. And, and I think that um, where I see the, the opportunity in that is, is, or where I see the, um, I guess the flaw in the company who loses that person, mm. they're not necessarily connecting to them at a level that they should to be able to train and engage them and retain them to the level that they could. Right. Because if you're going to leave for a dollar value, you know, right. an extra 10K, right. my perspective would be that that they're probably not as engaged into the opportunity at the organization because of the company not setting it up that way. Yes. So. Or, or they're not communicating effectively, right? Because if it, 10K, right, is a large dollar amount at the end of the day. Uh, depending on where you fall from a comp standpoint, but at the same time, if you if making an extra 10k a year was so important, you should be having that conversation with your manager and how they can help you get there. Sure. It shouldn't be like some blind thing that's happening in the background that you're only talking to your spouse about. I mean, I think that's I'm with you. I I think one of those things is if you're losing people to your competition, it's your fault. Sure, all, yeah. right all the way. Like when we, I mean, we live it every day here because we don't have an employment contract, so our hand was forced to believe that. But then I think once you get in a management role for a while, you're like, oh, it makes so much sense. Like if someone wanted to leave here and work at our competitor, that's our fault. Sure. Like we, we need to own that yeah. and figure it out as opposed to just be like, oh, good riddance. And there's probably certain people that, that, that are jumpers because yeah. that's the way that they're going to climb the ladder is, is jump it every two years. Right. And honestly, that's not someone that I necessarily want to. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Not, not, or invest in. Yeah. So, we're getting close to the end of it, but I wanted to, you're in a unique position in your role. I wanted to pick your brain on a different topic real quick. You, your father started the company in 1985. 
your brother runs our back office. You're the president of our company, soon to be chief people officer, as I like to talk about it. But no, I mean, you run our, our internal people, TA, culture, core values, all of that, and, and the fluidity and consistency between how that operates group to group is your responsibility. And I wanted to ask you less about the technical nature of your job and more like, what is it like to work with your family members? Because I think family-owned businesses have a stigma at times and it's a, it, your challenge is unique, right? You're the oldest brother, your dad's CEO. Like, what, what is that like and um, is it hard and how do you deal with it? Sure. Um, I think that there was one, one thing you missed in that is that my wife also works here. I did miss that, so, and your mom worked here when I started. Yeah, so... Um, That's fair. Those are great points. Um, luckily, I've been able to... Shout uh, out Kat, Katie Cap. sorry. Yeah. Um, luckily, I've been able to have um, the choice of where my office is positioned uh, or desk, <laughs> so I stay as far away That's from... That's a very real answer. As That's far away from answer. all of them as possible. Um, I don't know about that. And, your wife uh, is like two cubes down. Yeah, that was just recent. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that, um, family businesses are, uh, are great and they're awful, right? So you have a chance to, uh, work together and during the highs and the successes, it's great because you're doing it with your family and, um, you know, hopefully, um, there's a lot of positivity and learning that come out of that. Um, you know, I'd be lying to you at times that I said I wanted to quit because, you know, me and my father's relationship was super toxic and we were crossing in the wrong way um, and I've had incredible times where I feel like we're on top of the world together and um, so so I do think that there there is unless you sit down and you have a code of conduct or mm. kind of rules surrounding um, work family balance and what you take home at the end of the day yeah uh, you're always gonna bring your work home with you mm-hmm. and work and home is always gonna come into work with you yeah. So I do think I've seen uh, family businesses that do it really well where they don't talk work outside of work and and that probably saves a lot of headache and 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 issues. Um, I just for us it's not realistic. Yeah, I was gonna say how I, I not realistic. I don't, you know I think that um, to be honest with you, I think I spend more time outside of work. You know when we're when we're hanging out, wake surfing on the boat or yeah. um, you know just you know. Snowmobiling or doing something fun with family that we end up in some of the most productive work conversations because you're doing it in a way that's probably you're not you know you're you're much more present in those mm. those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Listening probably so, more clearly. Yeah, yeah. You just that you're 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 not in the four walls that you live in and right. stuff like that. The distractions aren't there. Um, so I think during those tough times, those are really grinding because uh, you know when you go home and and. Mm. You know, you're, you're, uh, you know, it's <laughs> your tough conversation inside of work, just as the exact yeah. tough conversation outside of work. I think that those can be really tough, and you feel like you're, you're kind of, um, you don't have an, an, an escape, I guess. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, so um, good and bad. You yeah. Know, I think that uh, that uh, we've had a chance over the past year through an executive coach mm-hmm. um, and one of the I think the biggest learning experiences that we've come to with uh, specifically me my father our executive team uh, me and my brother um, was that we needed someone to translate what we were saying mm. um, and a kind of a, a mediator that could come down and understand that we all might have different languages but to translate that into kind of one common language has allowed us to um, see that we're actually saying the same thing 
Yeah. And that's uh, made all the difference. In the well, I mean, I, I got to give it to you. I think you, you do a, uh, you guys do an awesome job. And obviously, I sit on the executive team with your brother and your father. So I see it firsthand, and I know it can be a challenge at times. But uh, do you have, for other people listening that might be in a family business or working with their close friends, I don't think it's, I mean, family's different. But I think we all get in a situation where we work with our close friends. Any advice for those folks on how to thrive and not just survive? Um, I think uh, setting context to people's roles and responsibilities mm. and very, very clear guidelines behind that. Um, and then also understanding people's weaknesses and, um, and making sure that people are aware of what those are, mm -hmm. meaning not only yeah. the individual, but also the people that surround them and work um, so that so that you know when someone does something and and it's a weakness or it hurts someone in a way or is really positive or is a strength mm. people are recognizing that that's why they're doing it right so that um so that they can put it into that category and make sure that um they understand the action behind it and right there might be a reason and then it doesn't have, surprise you have transparency towards a conversation right. about it to go you know if, if mark if you know my strengths and weaknesses and I'm trying really, really fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. favorite swear word. Yeah. Um, to be able to get better at my weaknesses, you're gonna when when you see me fall, you're yeah. gonna, you're gonna try to help me pick up because right. I'm trying to I'm trying to be better in that space. It doesn't mean that I'm that I'm there yet. Yes. Right. But you're not gonna sit there and go uh, kick me while I'm down. Right. Type mentality. Right. So I think that that's um, which if you don't talk about it, it becomes a resentful thing. You're like, well, he sucks at that. Yeah. It's like, well, I told you I sucked at that. I every time that help. happens, there's a brick that gets put down. And every time right. you don't say anything, there's another brick. And right. eventually you get a wall. Right. So. It's a good analogy. Well, yeah. with that, sir, I appreciate your time. We appreciate your time. Thank you. I don't know what's... I can't believe you still here in that cup after 40 minutes. But we'll give you a pass. You, do, you were doing all the talking. Um, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Let's keep going. All right.